Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. This is Andrew Olson. Uh, I'm excited to be here today with Michael Mitchell, who's the Director of Development and Discipleship at Christian Alliance for Orphans. Hey, Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. We're excited to have you here, man. Before we jump into uh, to our questions for the day, take just a, a minute or two and tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I've, I've been in fundraising most of my career. I did a, a short stint in, in something a little different there at one point, but uh, have spent most of my career doing that first in higher ed for around a decade and then in the international uh, water nonprofit space before coming to the Christian Alliance for Orphans. So I've, I've been doing this or around people doing it for about 15 years. Okay, cool. So what is the Christian Alliance for Orphans and, and- how did you get hooked up? Yeah. And, and, you know, we go by KFO. Uh, okay. And so that's a lot easier to say. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that so that you can, you can not have to say a mouthful every time. Uh, we're, we're just, we're an alliance. We're an alliance of about 200 nonprofits and 800 churches working in the foster care and adoption space here in the U S and around the globe. Uh, primarily we work at KFO to inspire, equip and connect uh, God's people who are doing frontline work in that space. So, so we're not a direct care agency or organization. We don't work directly with children and families, but we, we provide teaching, coaching, research, courses, access to community, other resources to those who are. Okay. So and if I understand your role correctly, part of the work you do, and we were talking a little bit off, off the audio earlier, that you know, you're, you're also providing like coaching and guidance to some of these organizations on, on how how to market, how to raise revenue, how to engage donors. Is that correct? Yeah. So I spend about a quarter of my time on KFO's fundraising and okay. three quarters of my time teaching and coaching our members. Okay. So what are uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see these organizations face? And what are some of the things that you and KFO are doing to help them navigate those? Yeah. Uh, this is a great question. I mean, from what I see, I think most of the challenges probably stem from most people that are in fundraising are reluctant fundraisers. You don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go raise money. This is what I'm going to do. And, and so I'm going to study this and I'm going to learn best practice. So most of the time people are just, they're thrown into it. They, they, they're passionate about a cause or they had an idea and people started sending money their way. And that idea turned into an organization. And now all of a sudden they've got a staff and a budget and it's like, ah, what do I do? So they're, they're reluctant, but along the way, most people haven't stopped to pause and really ponder like their philosophy of giving a theology of fundraising and giving really. And so I think it comes down to mindset is one of the biggest challenges, like really understanding this is what fundraising is. This is what fundraising isn't. And and how do I fit into that? And then, I mean, 
best practices, right? We, we've been in this space. We, I mean, you know how to write a direct mail piece. You know how to invite somebody to make a major gift. And if, if fundraising was something that you kind of woke up one day and you had to do, you probably didn't have a mentor who taught you how to do that. I mean, I learned that thing from being in university higher ed and spending time around a really gifted VP for advancement. And I learned by watching him. But a lot of the people I'm working with, they're founders, right? They, they got into this and, and had no experiences like that. And so, you know, mindset first, this is what fundraising is. And I see it as just an opportunity to minister to givers. I mean, in the faith-based space where I'm at and, and giving is one thing I can invite some, somebody to do that I know is going to grow them. And there's other Michael, things I can invite. Them. You have no idea how that excites me to hear you say that. I, I've been <laughs> saying that for years and years and years. And, and it's just when, when people come to grips with the fact that their ministry to donors is just as important as, to, as their ministry to those in need. Um, it totally changes things, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not a distraction from the work. Like, I think for a lot of people, they see it as a necessary evil. And it's like, oh, we got to do this thing so that we can do these other things. And, and I come at it and, and I say, look, I think you have a responsibility to steward the mission and grow the people that God sends to help support it. And we have to do both of those things. And 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 giving is a way that somebody can grow. And so, yeah, absolutely. And then obviously best practices, like there are people out there that they would tell you like, Michael, I, I don't know how to fundraise. Help me learn to fundraise. Yes, we can do that. There's a lot of people teaching on that. There's a lot of good stuff on that. I think where I find I can be the most helpful is just in the mindset area. So I want to, wow. I want to hold on to that for a second because the best practices make a ton of sense, right? You could do a class on, you know, here, here's the, structural way to write a newsletter or like you said you know here's the five things you need to put into a major gift ask the mindset piece i, I like the term you use the theology of, of giving um that's a much more intimate engagement with somebody and it gets at a lot more like um you know sort of root beliefs mm -hmm. it seems like that would take a lot more time and be a lot more difficult to to navigate Talk a little bit about that and, and sort of what your process and approach is to, to engaging with those founders and other leaders to, to really make that work. You're absolutely right. It, it does take more time. And it's funny, like the end result sometimes doesn't look that different in terms of dollars raised and if, if that's your metric. Um, but if, if your metric is how have I impacted the lives of the givers as well as the people we serve? Yeah, it's going to, it's going to take some more time. I mean, everybody has got beliefs about money, abundance, scarcity, generosity, who God is, who they are. And those are the things that I want to really kind of get in the weeds with, with people that I'm talking to coaching, teaching and fundraising. Like, what do you believe about those things? What do you believe you're doing when you're inviting someone to give, do you believe you're just inviting them to, you know, part with some, some money to put in the cause? Or do you believe like you're inviting them into God's kingdom? Are you inviting them to have like an internal battle with an, an idol that they might have? What do you believe is happening when you're inviting somebody to give? Uh, what do you believe about generosity? Do you think like it is painful for people to give? And my, one of my questions is like, think about the last gift you made. You enjoyed it. You loved it. Like the brain science supports that giving is like eating a bowl of broccoli that tastes like ice cream. 
it is, it is good for you and you enjoy it. Like those pleasure centers in your mind light up. And, and if I can get somebody to start thinking those things and asking those questions and just being introspective about their experience with abundance and generosity and, and seeing who God is and how he's been at work, then I think I can, I can help them kind of move to a place where they can grow a comfort level in fundraising. But, but nobody wants to be like the person who always has their hand out and feels like they're begging and things like that. But mostly that's a belief thing more than anything. We're not going to change the practice of this. We're going to help you change how you understand what you're doing. Wow. Wow. You know, you're in such a unique position to uh, teach people, to train people in over 200 nonprofit organizations, um, um, you know, how to serve in this role. What kinds of, what are the biggest mistakes you see in this area um, when you come alongside uh, a new nonprofit uh, that, uh, that, that joins the Christian Alliance for Orphans? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, don't we all want silver bullets sometimes? Right? We're, <laughs> we're cuts. <laughs> How do you do this fast? <laughs> we're always we're always looking for silver bullets, and so sometimes it, I I'll have somebody reach out to me. He's like, "How do we? How do we find foundations?" Like, well, okay. Let's let's pause and say for a minute that a foundation or foundations aren't a silver bullet. Most of giving comes from individuals anyway. Sometimes they ask that same question about, oh, we really want to, we want to really approach churches. Can you help us do that? It's like, yes, but how are you stewarding the relationships you have with the individuals? And, and so that that's that's something I see. There's there's this belief out there in this space that somehow, like, oh, foundations and churches and businesses, they're the answer. And it's like, well, how well are you doing? Really a small percentage of the revenue, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I I see that challenge. That's a relatively easy one because you can point to the the data, the national figures out there. Um, I I think I see people, you know, just having a fear of asking. And sometimes that's because they don't know how to ask. Sometimes it's some of those mindset things and belief things that we talked about, but they'll, they'll do a lot of friend raising. And sometimes that works out, right? Somebody, sometimes somebody says, Hey, I want to give you a gift. And you didn't have to ask them. And, and that happens enough. Sometimes that we think, okay, we don't have to ask. We just go out there. And, and so I see that. I see a lot of scarcity thinking, uh, <laughs> Ray Wong, uh, Ray Wong, uh, love. She was on a podcast recently uh, with uh, the uh, "We Are for Good" folks, and and she had this line. And it's, I mean, it's cliche. It's desperation is a stinky perfume, right? <laughs> and and I loved it, right? And it's like, but if if we feel like oh, there were ah, there's never enough, and reality is there's more than enough resources out there, and there's more than enough people who care about your cause, and so I, I see that. I think the last thing I would just mention is. There seems to be a constant pressure and search to find new givers. And what I think we sometimes fail to realize is that tomorrow's major givers are already giving to us today. And, and there's, there's such a quest. Like, how do we find the new people? How do we new, new, new? And it's like, man, what are you doing with the people that you already have? How are you helping them grow? And, and that's probably the number one mistake I see is like, we don't have a really good plan to take people from this level of engagement to this level of engagement and depth. And, and now we're chasing down new dollars, new people, whether we have 50 people or 5,000 people who are already giving, 
most organizations aren't putting enough thought into that group. Wow. That reminds me of the column you wrote a few years back, Andrew. Uh, Daddy, where do major gifts come from? And uh, uh, Michael understands major donors come from your file. It's not out there somewhere. It's it's right where you're at, whether it's 50 donors or 5,000 donors or 50,000 donors. The, the major donors are there. It's it's so true. I mean, I was just thinking as, as Michael was talking, you know, that that quest for new is so like ingrained in every person. I think maybe every year on January 1, we should just change all the ID codes in the CRM so that everybody thinks there's more new donors in there and then go <laughs> engage with them and maybe build new relationships. You just, yeah, as a development director, you just send all of your, your team, like the list of like, here's a bunch of new people to go talk to. Right. And it's, it's, it's a joke because they're all, they're all existing. Yeah. <laughs> but they've also probably not talked to them yet. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. <laughs> well, let, let's look at the other side of the coin. Um, um, you know, what innovative, new, fun, exciting things are happening out there in, in philanthropy, um, you know, with, with the folks you're in contact with, any new ideas or or or, or things that are working again uh, that that have been used in the past that you see? Man, there there is maybe not new. One thing that I'm I'm excited about is is it's been caused by the pandemic. I I think finally people are starting to see that events as a primary source of revenue. Yes, have an event, but if you're going to depend on it for a huge chunk of your revenue, that's that's a dangerous place to be. And so, like we at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw people playing around a little bit with these virtual events, and then it's like hybrid events. And and I think I'm starting to see glimmers of people are realizing, you know, events can play a role in your strategy. But even as those events weren't happening, champions and givers continue to show up. Generous people do what generous people do, right? They're looking for problems to solve. They're looking for opportunities to give. And and sometimes we have created these events and those those actually end up being barriers to generosity. And and I'm starting to see some folks get that. And maybe they're still having an event, but they're shifting to say, okay, how can this event help us bring new people into the fold? Uh, A gentleman that I work with, uh, in Alabama, Todd McMission at Alabama Baptist Children's Homes. Uh, he has this great, like, events can do one of three things. They, they, can, they can help you celebrate what's happening. They can help you recruit new people to your cause, or they can help you raise funds. And, and he makes the point, you really want to focus your events on those two things. And if they do number three, great, but don't depend on events for number three. And I, I, I see that taking hold. I see more and more organizations saying, okay, we're not going to do this event. We're not even going to try to do it virtually. We're just going to go to those people who have traditionally come to this event. We're going to tell them about the cause and the opportunities to give, and we're going to invite them to give. And I see that happening over and over and over again. And it's, it's leading to good fruit. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, and I think you're right about events. I think the other thing that people are, are, now being forced to do is not just look at the event the day of. They, they're beginning to realize that every event has a very long tail on it. And it might take, the, the, the question is not what gift did you get at the event, but when does that second gift come and third gift? And, and so an event really can, can that time, that, 
you got to count the revenue over over a year, really, to get a real impact of a real view of the impact of the event. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, events should never live in isolation. I mean, I can I can think when I was at the uh, organization I was at previously before coming to KFO, we strategically timed our annual event so it could be a kickoff to our year end fundraising campaign. And yeah, the night paid for itself and it, it, it raised good money. But for us, what we wanted it to be is this moment of, you know, get people in the room and get them excited, get them really get, help them feel a part of something, inspire them, make them cry, make them feel great about what we were doing as a sort of a kickoff event for the year in giving season. And so then there were lots of follow-ups that, that kind of referred back to that. I think, I think that's huge. I think anything you can do there. Uh, is good. One one other thing I will say that I'm not sure I'm seeing fruits of it yet, but working with a lot of our members who do international work, they have children's homes overseas. Uh, there has been a historic reliance on trips to help donors engage in the cause, and that got really really hard the last two years, and and that has forced a lot of really good organizations with really good programs to think creatively about how do we, if we can't take people overseas to see the work, how do we give them that proximity? And, and there's a lot of create, I think there's some creative thinking that's coming out of that. I'm not sure I could have seen any of the fruits of it yet, but I am seeing these organizations ask those questions. And I think like it's a huge leap to ask somebody to go just from, you know, minimal knowledge, what you do to like come spend 10 days with me overseas. Right. And, and I think, you know, there's a certain type of person that will do that, but then there's a whole other group of people that if you invited them to take some smaller steps to experience that cause and get proximity and closer to it, they probably would take it and would engage with you. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, that has been hard for a lot of people, but out of that challenge is coming some innovation, I think. So I've, I've got a follow-up. You know, one of the things that um, that I've appreciated about some of the organizations that, that are part of your alliance and, and, and just the way that they operate. There's, you know, for some of these founder-led organizations, the, some of the smaller organizations, for all of the things that they, you know, maybe a large nonprofit would look at and say, oh, well, they, they're not there yet. They, they've not arrived at that level yet. Um, I feel like oftentimes the storytelling in some of these organizations is a lot richer, a lot more um, intense, and a lot more um, uh, just like passionate than you get in a brand-focused big nonprofit. Talk a little bit, if you will, about what you think some you know some of the other larger nonprofits could learn from the kind of storytelling that you see from the members that you serve. Yeah, so our our members range in size. We've got members with a hundred million plus dollar budgets. And we've got members with a hundred thousand dollar budgets, but the most of them are in that kind of that middle space, I would say. And, and I never want to equate budget size with impact, but it's a, it's a helpful measurement. Um, I, I think the ones that are still, they would tell you they're small, right? They have not created a lot of distance and between themselves and the people they're serving, right? Like program people, frontline program people always have that. And it's always a challenge in fundraising. Like how, how can we get the program folks to tell us the stories, right? Um, and so that's that's always there. But, but some of these smaller organizations, it, 
the executive director is interacting with the clients and the people that they're serving. And so naturally that person who's already thinking about vision um, has access to those stories. And, and I, I mean, that's, that's the, seems to be the difference is the like structure that seems to grow up in an organization as it grows and, and necessary, right? You, you've got to find ways to maximize your capacity and we specialize and things like that, but we create all this distance between the people who tell the stories and and the people who are being served, supported, helped by things. And it, the, the ones that do this well are working to shorten that distance. They're getting there, they're experiencing it themselves and they're seeing it. I think that's important. I, I think just a culture of celebrating wins is super important. We don't do that. I mean, everybody in fundraising knows that you have this amazing, exciting December and then January one comes and you start over at zero and everyone's like, oh, how are we going to do this? Right. That's the culture we, we grow up in, uh, in this world of fundraising. Well, our organizations do that too. Everybody's busy, but some organizations that, that I work with, I mean, Agape in central Alabama is a great example of this. Like they, they regularly look for these wins to celebrate and their programmatic wins. And, and it's just become a culture that that's what you do. You share those things as they happen and, and you share them with everybody. They've created space for it. And, and so as that happens, um, you have these stories to tell. And, and so whatever we can do to break down those walls, those barriers, is important. Any other uh, revenue growth uh, ideas? I mean, you've thrown a lot out here, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest opportunities there are just to go deep, be human. Right. We, we're going to, I think we're going to talk in a minute about AI and machine learning and those kinds of things. Um, but I think what we know is that robots make pretty bad fundraisers and, and, you know, humans give to other humans. And so go deep in your relationships with people. Don't, don't be chasing down everything. And even want to grow revenue, grow your champions, grow, grow them, grow their connection to the cause. And I mean, it's cliche, but like be analog in a digital world. There's a, there's a place for that organization that, that handwrites notes to people and, and picks up the phone and calls people still and, and sends not robo texts, but actual texts and actual emails. And there's a lot of ways to fake connection, but the organizations that actually prioritize real connection, those are going to be the ones that, that grow their revenue. Um, and then this is something I see pretty often is most of us in fundraising have a question that asks, what do I want from people? What do I want from this person? Well, time, talent, treasure, testimony, influence, whatever, you name it. Um, the, the question I want to get people I'm working with and that I want to constantly ask myself is what do I want for people? What do I want for people who give? And, and I think organizations that start by asking that question about their givers, like, what do we want for these people? How do we want giving to bless them? How do we want their relationship with us to help grow and change them? And though, as they ask that question and build strategy to address that question, people deepen their connection to the cause. And I mean, that's no secret to the three of us that, that our resources, those time, talent, treasure, always flow in the direction of the things we care most about. Mm. So how do we help people care? more about the thing that we're doing uh, through a process of, you know, 
inviting them to do things that we know are good for them. They're going to help them grow, uh, help inviting them to share in different ways, inviting them to learn in new ways, inviting them to, you know, specifically like pray for this in a very real kind of way. Uh, I think, I think those are the things that are going to really help organizations grow. Once again, not new, not flashy sports analogy, blocking and tackling, right? It's, it's right. fundamental things of, of just staying human, even in the midst of all this great technology and uh, things out there that can help us, you know, do some of these things at scale. But if we lose that personal touch, it hasn't been worth it. Absolutely agree. <clears throat> Knowing that, what do you think the role of things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data, like, like, Obviously, yes, the relationships are key. And in fact, if you don't do relationships well, none of the rest of it matters, right? Given that, what is the role of, of those kind of advancements that you see? Yeah, so I, I, I'm i kind of a, I'm known on my team as kind of the techno geek. And so I, 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 love, I love this stuff. I love a good algorithm. I love technology. Here's what I want us to always remember is that technology ought to serve the relationship first and foremost. And sometimes we get that backwards. And, and it's like, it's, it's technology at the expense of relationship. Um, but, you know, machine learning, AI, people, although we are remarkably different at the micro level, human behavior looks pretty remarkably similar when you get at the macro level. But, but you and I and Ron, like, we don't, we don't see all those trends at a macro level that, you know, a computer that's designed to look for them can see. And so I say, like, to the extent that, those things, technology, big data can help us take all those things that we really know and recognize about human behavior at this real high level and help us apply it to our everyday interactions at the micro level, we all win. So that's a lot to unpack. What do I mean by it? You guys are probably familiar with Fundraise Up like, and what they do with giving a raise. We, we know that the numbers, yeah, we know that the numbers we present to people on the giving a raise dramatically influence the giving amounts. And so they've, they've, great algorithm they've they've like customized their giving array that we load on our sites based on a lot of aggregating of data behind the scenes like somebody's zip code where they're coming from their online shopping behavior there's a lot of data pieces that are out there that they're going out and pulling together and it it creates a custom giving array for that person doesn't always get it perfect we're we're a client of theirs and, and there are times where it's like ah no you missed on that one um, but I think that's a really good example of how technology can help us be better. I also know that there's services out there that can look at your data as an organization and, and help you see some patterns maybe that you haven't seen and even provide little nudges like, hey, you ought to reach out to this person. It would be a good time to touch base with this person based off previous history. I was looking in our system yesterday trying to figure something out about a particular person. And this, this gentleman does not have a monthly recurring gift, gift to us. But for three years, he's given us a gift roughly in the $50 to $100 range on the 25th, 26th, or 27th of every month for the last three years. Well, you know, something, a good opportunity for AI to come in and enhance what we're doing is to point out, hey, you might want to reach out to this guy around the 24th of the month, right? Like, that's a silly thing, but like... I'm sure he's not the only one with those kind of patterns. And so to the extent that that technology can serve to support the relationship, I, I think it's good. And, and I'm seeing some of that, some of the stuff out there starting to do that. 
No, I, I think you're spot on. You know, if anything that you mentioned fundraise up, uh, I'll give them a plug too, right? So we're, we're you know, I, I work for a fundraising agency. We, we work with all sorts of different platforms, but two of our clients recently onboarded their, their software and within 90 or 120 days, both of them saw like a 40% lift in online revenue. And I think, you know, and it was all driven by that custom algorithm, right? Um, so kudos to their, uh, they're tech nerds because they got it right, you know? <laughs> it did. And, and it's exciting to think about like fundraising up is a great example of technology being really helpful. Sometimes well, technology represents the opportunity to do harm and things like that. But but this has been this has been really good, helpful technology that, yeah. that is helping propel causes forward to serve more people. Let's go back to uh, the analog side of things for a minute and talk about leadership. So what role do you see CEOs and boards playing in philanthropy? And what role would you like to see them playing? In <laughs> you know, the nice thing about the number of organizations I get to interact with is I see it all over the board. And yeah. so um, I do see a lot of really good ones. And I tend to see more good ones. Then, then I do not as good. I was on with one the other day and she was telling me about her interaction with a, a church partner of theirs. And I got to tell you, like, she schooled me. I was like, this is so great. Like, I now know how to do this better in the future because I'm listening to you talk. And she was coming to me for the coaching session to ask for feedback. And I was like, no, like, this is better than I would have done it. Um, what, I, what I know, I think, is that in most organizations, the ceiling on giving is almost always going to be determined, set by the president and the board. And, and so to the extent that they're involved in developing relationships with people and inviting people to give, so goes the rest of the organization. And that ceiling is going to be real high. Sometimes it's non-existent if, if, the, if the board and the president get it. I've also seen you know, that, that ceiling set real low by the president or board that says, you know what? We don't want to raise money. Let's just, uh, you guys go do that. That's your thing. Uh, that's not why we signed up to be on this board. Um, that's not my, that's the development department's job. Um, KFO, where I am, is really fortunate. We have a president and a board who, who get it. They not only understand that fundraising is necessary and they're willing to participate and, and lead in it, but I think as an organization, we all get, and it, and it starts with our president. He's He's the number one sort of like, champion of this idea is that fundraising isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. And it's this great opportunity to minister to people, to help them, people who give and help them grow who they are and help them accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. Um, but if that's not there, if the board isn't willing to get involved in fundraising, if the president doesn't have a healthy mindset and engagement in fundraising, the organization is never going to rise above that level they, they set. And so what I mean, my dream, part of what why I do what I do is I would love to see more organizations elevate fundraising from something that's a distraction from the real work uh, or it's a necessary evil to keep the lights on or the programs running to something that's just as important as a programmatic mission. And it's this idea, right? You have that dual calling. You got to steward the mission and grow the people that, that God brings. And if you do those two things, I think the sky's the limit. I love that. And I love the statement that the ceiling on giving is set by the president and the board. I wish more organizations and more leaders understood that. Um, 
one last question before we, we wrap up with you today. Um, give a word of encouragement to the struggling fundraiser who's out there just trying to get their job done, not knowing what to do tomorrow, you know, trying to figure out, did I, did I set my career in the right direction or not by getting into this fundraising stuff? What, what do you say to those folks? Man, I would say I've been there and, and I would say you're not alone and, and find, find your community, you know, whatever it is, wherever you are, if, if you've got an AFP community in your, in, in your city or state, go find them um, to the, to the folks that are in my world and KFO, like connect with us so we can help you find somebody else who's doing what you're doing and, and get in community. And then, you know, the second thing that, that I suffered from early on in my career is like making the like fundamental attribution error of thinking that when things are going well, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. That's us. We're doing well. And then when things are not going well, Oh, that's also on us. And I got to where I was really good at saying, you know, God is up to something. He's doing these amazing things. And so like giving him the credit, but still when things didn't go well, I carried that weight. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would just want to say to somebody that there is a whole lot more than you and what you're doing involved in this whole cycle of philanthropy and giving. And like, there's things going on in people's lives and, and their heart and their passions and, and all of those things really have to like intersect perfectly for giving to the organization that you serve to happen. And sometimes it's just not there. And, and it is hard. Fundraising is really, really, really hard work, but it matters. And I look at how I have grown over time, just seeing miracle after miracle after miracle in times where I thought, I don't know how we're going to do this. We're not going to make a budget. This program isn't going to happen. These people are going to suffer because we have dropped the ball and a check shows up in the mail. And if that happens that we didn't know about, right? Here's a, here's a $600,000 gift that nobody knew was coming and it's anonymous. So we can't take credit for it. There's enough of those times that happen if you put yourself and you stick with it, uh, that it, it becomes this really like faith strengthening experience. And, and now, you know, that's still there to an extent. It never goes away, but I'm able to kind of sit with that tension and just remember, 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 remember. There are so many examples where, and it was hard and it felt like nobody else understood fundraising and we weren't going to meet budget or we didn't meet budget. And then still, um, I come at this from the faith background. I, I coach people on this all the time to say, look, I think God cares more about this thing that you're doing than you do. And if that is true, that has a lot of implications, right? And so let's just trust him to come through. I'm probably going too long on this. The last thing I would say is just keep going. The the worst thing you can do is leave after 18 months or 24 months. Like that's the cycle. The first year is always easy because it's new and you're meeting new people. And then you have to like figure out in year two, like how do I help those relationships grow? And there, maybe there were some unhealthy expectations on the outset, but, but power through and stick with it because over time, then those relationships grow. And until you've been in a place three years, four years, five years, you're, you're just really not seeing the fruit relationally of those, those relationships that you get to develop and what that can mean for you personally and professionally. And so just, just hang in there, find your people and, and remember your role.
Well, that is awesome guidance. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing with us and, uh, and pouring into the community. How do people reach you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn or email me. I've uh, it's Mitchell at kfo.org, C-A-F-O.org. And I'm just always interested in connecting with people. And so definitely. Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.